the book walks people through using the Jamstack to build the full stack application from inception to production. There's like a lot of particulars in the process of building pretty much any full stack application that go beyond like one piece of technology or another. So the book's about tying these technologies together. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to the installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got Mike Cavalier. Welcome, Mike. Thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'm glad we uh, we crossed paths. Uh, we had a mutual connection, which was Anthony Campolo, who's been on this podcast talking about Redwood JS. Folks, definitely check out that that episode. Also, shout out to Anthony, who just took his first job at Steps In. Super excited about him, sort of progressing in his career as a developer. But how about you, Mike? Who are you? Where'd you come from? Ah, uh, see, I came from Queens, New York. I've been uh, in the software world for some 20 years at this point. I started at a time when um, my school was not teaching web-friendly languages, and this was at the point of the dot-com boom. So uh, I learned web-friendly languages pretty much on my own. Started with like a one-credit HTML class, started building web pages as a freelancer. <laughs> this came up on Anthony's podcast. But the uh, the first production website I worked on was Baywatch.com for the original Baywatch. Oh, nice. It's crazy. What an honor. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, back with the Hoff. But, you know, I did a lot of that for a while and uh, started to learn um, full stack work back then, you know, which for me was like learning PHP before the framework days and um, building some applications, database applications with that. Taking that further, um, you know, when Ruby on Rails came about, I started messing with Ruby on Rails and building some full stack applications there, but still being really into the JavaScript world. Like I never left JavaScript. So Prior to jQuery becoming like this big phenomenon, there was like Prototype and Scriptaculous and Moo Tools and even just vanilla JavaScript back then. Leveraged that stuff during the browser wars where IE was, you know, it was, it was the opponent to Firefox and Netscape and you had to let, make things look good across browser. And then fast forwarding into like sort of modern JavaScript age where, you know, JavaScript is a Swiss army knife where you can do everything with it, front end, back end. Jamstack mobile. And, uh, you know, for the last six years, probably focusing on like, React-related technologies. Yeah. So at Echobun, in particular company I work for, I've done a lot of React Native work, a lot of web React work, you know, still some Ruby on Rails as well. But like in my personal endeavors, focusing more and more on Next.js because I love it as a framework. I love it as a toolkit. And, you know, the, the versatility of it is really great because you can build flat, fast applications that, you know, are just websites and you can take them a step further pretty easily into full stack applications. So anyway, that's about me. I I love software, love writing it. I I love teaching it to people. Yeah. Are you still based in Queens? Uh, I'm in Brooklyn now. I've lived in Brooklyn for 10 years, but I grew up in Queens and I'm there every now and then to see family. Okay. What part of Queens? Flushing, Hubert Hills area. Yeah. Do you know Queens? Uh, I know Queens. Uh, my mom went to St. John's, and then my family's from Brooklyn and East New York. Okay. So I'm familiar with the area, but I'm from Florida. Okay. So I didn't go to New York a lot because my family always came to Florida. Gotcha. <laughs> That's how I grew up. It's like my family, my mom and dad escaped New York, mm. like literally escaped New York in the 80s. 
and then um, decided to never go back. And everybody would come and visit us in a nice little suburbs. So nice. Are you still in Florida? Still located there, or where are you located? It's funny because I'm actually in Florida at this moment recording this podcast, uh, visiting my grandma. Hmm. She's 89 this Saturday. Wow. But I'm based in Oakland, California. Got you. But yeah. So Echobind, I'm familiar with Echobind. I've actually talked with a couple engineers there, and I know I know a couple engineers there as well. So consultancy, y'all build a lot of projects for different various organizations. And you mentioned Next.js. Mm-hmm. So can you expound a little bit more about like what are the benefits of using something like Next.js when you're building projects for clients? Let's see where to start. So React, a lot of people love because it's a great UI framework. It's modular, fits into any environment, it's fast. Next.js takes React a step further when building anything full stack because it does a lot for you that you would otherwise have to figure out in harder ways. So namely, something like routing. Routing, when you're dealing with a node and React application, you know, you go to a URL, um, it has to determine what page that corresponds to and determine whether the state exists on the front end, the back end, or, or both. If you're just coming to that page the first time, you might have to do a server-side render. If you're navigating with JavaScript, you might have to do a push state. So um, Next.js has a really great router built in, and it's file system-based. So all you do is create a file in the API directory, and API endpoint exists. So that's one benefit of Next.js. It simplifies a lot of chores that you know, it, it just has paradigms for it. You don't have to go crazy thinking about. Um, another is that it works really well for the Jamstack or for speed in general in that everything comes static rendered by default. So if your page is just a bunch of content written in React components, then it's automatically a static page and it's just going to load really fast. If it just needs to get some data when you deploy to the server one time, you just have a method in there for pulling that information and it'll still render a static page. And then even further, like if you need to get dynamic data, you can use get server-side props and it'll pull that stuff in and your pages will still be static and performance. So, so that's another added benefit is the speed and the paradigms for speed that it has kind of attached to it. I also just really like working with it. Uh, I like the way it simplifies things for you, but I enjoy the experience of writing it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I guess I've been doing Next.js for almost a year now at this point, but I always spend uh, quite a few years since it's been around acknowledging its existence, but never using it for any projects. And then once I ended up using it for a project, I was like, oh, I get it. I 100% get it. You mentioned in passing, your sort of tour through Ruby on Rails, you, you spent some time working in that sort of framework and ecosystem. A lot of time, yeah. I also came from Ruby on Rails, and that was actually the framework I learned how to program in. Mm. Uh, so like once I learned basics of the web, I was like, I need to build faster. Someone pointed me to Ruby on Rails. <laughs> I was able to get something accomplished without actually knowing what I was doing, <laughs> which is a scary thing, but also it's kind of a novel thing too as well when it comes to web yeah. programming. But I'm curious, back when you ended up using Ruby on Rails, uh, I just want to go back to your story and your origin story. What was the sort of catalyst that pushed you towards Ruby on Rails and then what brought you out of that? Good question. I started working with Ruby on Rails uh, when I was at a, a small dev shop and the other engineers that exposed me to it. You know, I think at the time I was doing a lot in PHP and still front end, always doing front end. But I had done some like server side type stuff in Perl and Ruby on Rails was brand new. Uh, it was version 1.1, I think, that we started playing around with it in. And they showed it to me and showed me all these cool design patterny things you could do with it. Um, they introduced me to like the Gang of Four patterns and, you know, the book on design patterns and how that was implemented in Ruby on Rails. And um, I started reading tutorials and saw how the generators work because I believe they had them back then. 
And uh, I just was like, this is really interesting because it's, it's trying to do a lot of stuff. More importantly, I noticed that coming from PHP, like PHP, when it came out, did a lot of stuff automatically that you had to do manually in Perl. You know, for example, like processing post parameters in, in Perl, like you would have to write like a regex to like translate that data into something that's readable. And PHP, you had this um, underscore post array, which would just give you all variables. I'm like, oh, this is an evolution. It's great. So Rails was like that to PHP at the time to me, where Rails took it a step further. And yeah, they'll process the request for you, but now they have the controller level for you. They've got the model abstractions away from the database. So yeah, similar to how Next.js provides the routing, which was a, a huge pain point in React. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of like a deciding factor in new technologies that I start to work with. Um, it's like, what are you simplifying that is manual? It's like a David Hanemeyer Hansen talks about, like, you know, he wrote Rails because he's lazy. You know, he didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And each evolution of technology should not reinvent the wheel, right? Uh, unless there's something wrong with that wheel and then you rewrite it. But, you know, that's also why I use Next.js. But as far as your question, like how I ended up moving away from Rails, Rails is still amazing. I, you know, saw that, you know, just how much JavaScript is moving these days. You know, JavaScript is moving fast. It's incredibly popular. There's a lot out there for it. I've always loved JavaScript. So I started to get back into writing more of that stuff. But also, I like that you can write JavaScript full stack and do all the things you need to do with it. I like the speed that those tools provide. Well, that's one thing about Ruby on Rails is it's, you know, not as suited for serverless, which is very common these days. But like, oddly enough, like Ruby on Rails is like the person you dated that you compare every future person to, <laughs> you know, Rails has so many good programming paradigms. I'm always thinking like, what does this new thing not have that Rails has? And I'm constantly measuring everything against it. So yeah, nowadays I, I do focus on JavaScript, but the, the Rails patterns and the features that they have are always in my head. Like, how do I do that with JS? So, like, my introduction into moving into JavaScript kind of full time, I eventually got there with React, was that you started building everything on your own. You started like testing, was like an afterthought. At least when I started writing JavaScript, there were some testing patterns and there were some tools to get it done. But if you wanted to have like Cucumber, like our Selenium like test in JavaScript at the time, it was near impossible and it just wasn't the same. So then you just you cut corners, you don't have tests, you deal with it, you have to manage all your dependencies. And if something breaks, you don't you don't have anything to fall back on. So yeah, I'm with you with that. I love the patterns of, of Rails. And I had mentioned off air that like Redwood JS, my introduction from Anthony has got me hooked. Redwood JS, Blitz JS, Next.js. I like having those patterns and not having needing to discover those every single time I start a new project. Yeah. Or try to convince the rest of the people working with me that my pattern is the best pattern. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be harder to convince people to say, this is my file structure, this is how I do routing. It's going to be so much easier to say, let's just use what Next does, so that way we can hire easily, yep. <laughs> we can pass off projects, we don't have to be stuck with constant tech debt. And I, I don't know if you could speak on that with the Echobind and how you sort of approach shipping projects for clients. Like, Is there a lot of handoff and education that has to happen when you leverage Next.js or the Jamstack for for these client projects? Good question. I'm trying to think of examples. I think that in general, it really depends on the team that we're handing it to, right? Because we work with such a variety of clients. There are teams where, like this project that I just come off of, um, pretty intelligent tech team that knew, or at least the people that built a large chunks of the app knew Next.js really well, for example. There was education 
towards the end of it because the new engineers in the project didn't have the background that the original engineer did. So there, in that case, there was some education around it. Definitely happens. And definitely Next.js is a little bit on the newer side. So I would say that on our projects where we're handing it off to an in-house technical team, if they aren't super savvy with the particular framework and we're introducing it to them, then there's definitely some knowledge transfer. But we're prepared for that. Like we write documentation really well. Um, We give people like verbal walkthroughs to make sure they understand certain concepts. We comment their code well enough concisely, you know, not like (laughs) ridiculous amounts of comments that don't mean anything after a while. But we'll put information in there and try to make things really self-documenting. So just being in a consultancy and being having done it for so long, we're very good at the handoff process. So yeah, there's definitely some of that. I wouldn't say particularly with Next.js over anything else. We have to do it with React Native projects where we're handing React Native work off to a team that has less expertise in it than us too. Yeah, but I imagine the benefit is the fact that you did use something that's a known property and yeah. has a community around it so folks can find their way, which leads to my next question, which is um, I'm curious more uh, into the book slash website that you have cutting into Jamstack. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a bit about that and some of the findings that are the learnings you're looking to share, but also hear from other folks? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you first like kind of why I put it together. So the, the book walks people through using the Jamstack to build the full stack application from inception to like production. So, you know, what I noticed out there is you know, typically, like traditionally, when you're shipping a programming book, it's usually focused on one technology, right? Either it's you're learning JavaScript or, you know, learning Next.js or you're learning Python. It's either a language or a framework most of the time. A lot of people have the goal in mind to ship an entire project, right? And that's one of the best ways to learn to program is to ship a project, even if it's a small project. There's not as much out there for like, this is how you build a software as a service application in this particular stack, or at least the I didn't find anyone I was searching. And I, I felt that that's a particular piece of knowledge that is really valuable, particularly in the JavaScript world, because if I want to ship something with React or, or Next.js, there's still plenty of other tools that I have to interact with. I need something for creating a React-based form, which there's a tool for, um, there's many tools for. I need to figure out state management across the application, which there's a bunch of different ways to approach. I need an ORM or query builder, something to interact with the database. And then I need to know, you know, what happens when I am interacting with the database, but I need to associate that data with something from an API. So there's like a lot of particulars in the process of building, particularly a software as a service application, but pretty much any full stack application that go beyond like one piece of technology or another. So the book's about tying these technologies together and seeing patterns for how they work and also for how you deploy them. So hosting is talked about in there as well. And it's also like tailored around like one thing I know if I'm shipping a personal project, I don't want to spend a dime on it. Uh, so there's like, you know, it's I'm using free hosting providers for both the database and the serverless functions. So um, that to me is really appealing because the way you get better at stuff is shipping it, shipping, shipping. You don't want to have to spend 30 bucks a month every time you ship something just to learn that nobody wants it. <laughs> For sure. And um, I'm right there with you, uh, not spending money on personal projects, side projects. My biggest concern is shipping something, forgetting about it, and then walking away like a year later thinking, like, what was this $500 bill, the annual subscription <laughs> that I forgot to cancel yeah. on a project that was like a, a joke, <laughs> like literally a, a joke that I thought of on the weekend. It's like, oh, I'm yeah. going to buy this domain and ship a project to it and pay for it forever. And yeah, that's always my concern. Yep. Uh, so I'm curious of like your. I guess, what is your ideal Jamstack? That would be a, a good question to, whether it's covered in your book or in the blog post you've done, I'm curious. Hmm. 
I'd have to think about ideal Jamstack. Uh, right now, what I've got is working pretty well. Uh, so the, the stack that I'm using in the Jamstack is like my preferred setup right now, which can change as, as things do in the JavaScript world quickly. So Next.js and React, Prisma is the ORM that I'm using, uh, which I like quite a bit. There is React hook form for the form management. There is uh, Cloudinary, which is an image API. Oh, I've not heard of that. So Railway is the database technology that I'm using. Um, they're a newer startup, and they have um, a really great interface and, and a free plan where you get two different environments. I highly recommend checking them out. And I'm using Vercel for the hosting, which um, the cool thing about Railway is it integrates seamlessly with Vercel. So you click a few buttons to get a Postgres database in Railway. You click another button, it transfers all the environment variables to Vercel. So you're up and running very fast. So that's particularly awesome. And then uh, another tool I'm using is NextAuth, which um, authentication is another one of those things that if you're working in Next, you have to think about it at a full stack level. NextAuth is great library. It, it connects like single click authentication to like any provider you can think of, Google, Facebook, Insta, Discord, Slack, email, magic link, sign up, all that stuff is built into there. Oh, and, and Stripe. Yeah, I'm going to be using the Stripe API in there yeah. um, because the, the app itself is going to have a billing component. So that's to me, is this pretty great stack to work with. Um, always looking at new tools um, and kind of the, you know, what are the ideal ways to work, particularly for shipping like a micro SaaS. Um, when I was early in the stages of building this book, I was thinking, well, do I want to do GraphQL and Apollo server? Then there's something like Hasura out there, which you create a Postgres database and it creates a GraphQL API for you. There's like Superbase and Firebase, all interesting tools. Um, I opted to go with this route because it was versatile. Postgres is just great general purpose. And um, by plugging it into something like Prisma and free hosting on Railway, you have like a good a bit of versatility without yeah. adding too much work. And I didn't want to make the book so complicated, like I'm touching on a million different topics. Um, maybe in a future book, I'll do more with the GraphQL world, but this works really well. And you can... I would use this setup to ship another initial SaaS after the topic. So I like this big batch of technologies that I've got here. Two follow-up questions. One, is there anybody else who's competing with uh, Prisma and their sort of ORM space for at least the JavaScript world? Um, yeah, there's other ORMs out there, you know, much more mature ones too. So there's SQLize, which has been around the longest, Yeah, which uh, it, it probably gets closest to like Rails Active Record. You know, they, they follow like similar patterns for a lot of that. Um, they have less TypeScript support, but they've added it in recent years. I haven't worked with it recently, but they've definitely established, and it probably has the most functionality overall. TypeORM is there. It's pretty stable. Um, it's all TypeScript-based. It's a good ORM. Prisma itself is newer, but there's funding behind it. There's a big community behind it. They're moving very rapidly, and they have certain things that are very new that are like standout. Other than the interface being really like clean and easy to use, they have this notion of um, their migrations are um, declarative rather than imperative, which is really interesting paradigm. I mean, yeah. instead of like being, okay, do this to the database and do this, do this, and then when you get on production, run all of those in sequence. It's more like, okay, this is what I want the database to look like. Here's my schema. Let the computer do the work. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that to me is an evolution on database migration thinking, which I think is a killer part of a good ORM, the migrations. Right. Another way Rails spoiled me is they're... Their migrations were very far ahead of their time and really like established over time, like really sturdy. So having that level of control over your data is a really valuable thing. 
Yeah. I was spoiled by Rails being my first introductions to databases, Postgres, like all of the above. Yeah. By the time I actually was building more than just like standard HTML pages, Rails was it for me. Mm. And I didn't realize how good it was until I went to go to the, the React world and had to rebuild that stuff from scratch. Like SQLize, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. But it also, it always felt like it was missing something that I thought Active Record gave me. And I think uh, Postgres has given me that again. And again, mm-hmm. something I, I only just recently, I've been using Prisma for the longest time, but I've never actually pulled back the curtain or started from scratch on any project. Mm-hmm. I've always been in a position where I inherited a project that already had Prisma. Yeah, sure. So that was my expertise uh, for Prisma, at least Prisma 2 itself. One point that you did make too as well, Postgres being versatile as well, even if you choose Railway, which when I Googled Railway, of course, uh, Anthony Campolo's uh, step-by-step tutorial on deploying Redwood JS apps uh, <laughs> includes Railway. Yep. So I have to dig into that and learn more about that after. But um, just being able to take your database and own it and move it wherever you want, like Postgres is a great solution and not needing to be locked down to oh, yeah. whatever the fancy database providers that are out there. Absolutely. And it's so multi-purpose. I mean, you know, internally we, we talk a lot about there's many different types of databases out there, right? There's traditional relational databases like Postgres. There's NoSQL databases like Mongo. Um, there's graph databases like, you know, they're, I think they all have use cases and strengths and weaknesses. But, you know, the reason like we use Postgres at EchoBind and also I use it personally as like the starter one is just that you can go any direction with it, right? You want to scale it up for speed, you can do a lot of that. You want to scale it up for like relational data, you can do that, or you can transfer it to a graph database if you need to. Um, it's just a great starting point no matter what you decide to do. Because like you never know like where the app is going to go. Am I going to really need something that's like needs like the document type storage of, of NoSQL that really is optimally for that? Maybe. And I could transfer it if I need to. It's hard to make that decision in the early stage though when you're shipping an app. So this kind of like takes the thinking out of it, right? Just start with a relational database and do what you need to do and then figure out where you're going to take this app. Yeah, excellent. I love it. I'm looking forward to digging into it. I'm curious, uh, do you have a, a time frame for when the book will be available for people to, to read and get their hands on? Yeah, the, uh, the preview release of the book is going to be out within the next two weeks. So it's going to be like a 30 to 40% chunk of the content and then uh later in the year my wife's given birth in the next few weeks so i'm okay. gonna have a little bit of a hiatus but then i'm gonna go back to working on the book and and fleshing it out and also taking feedback from people you know part of the reason i'm doing a preview release is i want people to see what it feels like and tell me what what they thought they learned from it what they thought it was missing um you know i want to kind of iterate on it based on like actual feedback so um but yeah the preview release is going to be coming out pretty shortly cool and that's uh cut into the jamstack.com Cut into the jamstack.com. Uh, cool. You can also just find it on my my Twitter profile and such. Excellent. I'm curious of what you're using to distribute the book, or what do you plan to use? Uh, right now, it's not just ConvertKit. Okay. Once I have the product uh, loaded into ConvertKit, I'm going to see if there's better ways to promote it, because you know, they have integrations with Gumroad, okay. and uh, there's plenty of other ways to do that, too. Um, right now, I'm so close to getting the initial chunk of the book done that I just want to finish that and then leverage up the promotion of it afterwards and see what works and what doesn't. But uh, yeah, if you have thoughts on that too, I'm always open to suggestions. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I have no thoughts. I've not actually shipped the book myself, but I know I'm curious to know about your path because uh, in the event I do ship a book, yeah. I love just uh, knowledge and taking advantage of all the knowledge that we have here on the podcast. So yeah. 
Mike, thanks for the chat, talking about cutting into the Jamstack. I do want to transition us to picks. So these are jam picks, things that we're jamming on. Could be music, food, yeah. gaming. Uh, a lot of people playing games these days. Uh, got a lot of free time. I don't know where they, they find it, to be quite honest. But you mentioned you're having a... Is this your first kid? Or you, this, uh, second. Yeah, second. Second, okay, yeah. Well, two, your hands are full at that point. Oh, yes. <laughs> you got to play man-to-man. <laughs> but with that being said, uh, let's transition to picks. And I'll go first, if you don't mind. Sure. Actually, I got two picks. The first pick is a YouTube video I just shipped titled Everything I Thought About Developer Relations Was a Lie. Nice. And it was an experiment, really. I've been experimenting with YouTube since I've had time to sort of create content uh, for work. And I have experimented with the thumbnails, experiment with the, the titles. And this one actually struck the right sort of nerve of YouTube algorithm versus community people who are interested in clicking the video. Mm. And it just goes into the current state of DevRel with my perspective mm. and how I've been shifting to live streaming. A lot of people on this uh, podcast know I do live streaming on Twitch. I also have, have a YouTube account, which I've mentioned a couple of times in this podcast. And uh, it's been a great experiment to do that, but also sort of summarize my experience for the year. Mm. So that's what the video is about. DevRel has no... I'm not sure if you're familiar to the practice of DevRel. No, not really. But yeah, developer relations, people who just make it their job to get on stage and talk about their products. A lot of folks at different companies or organizations will do this. I think previously a lot of consultants, like from a lot of the popular Rails consultants in the world, they spent a lot of time speaking at conferences and being cutting edge and talking about stuff that you're talking about. So like, you'd be a perfect DevRel use case uh, or uh, engineer role or whatever. You, yeah. The caveat is that the you, you scale back the engineering a little bit yeah. and you do way more content production. But that's the video. I hope y'all check it out. Uh, let me know. Feedback. Leave a comment. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's awesome. It makes me think because I plan to do a lot more DevRel, I guess, like later in the year because now I'm creating something. I guess I got to talk about it so people will actually look at it. Yeah. So cool. Uh, as far as my pick, I can give you a book that I'm really, really loving. Oh, nice. Uh, this book is called Limitless Mind by Jim Quick, who is a, um, a brain coach of sorts, uh, a learning coach, I should say, who got a traumatic brain injury as a kid. And over the course of many years, he figured out how to correct it and then train his brain to learn much faster than he would have. And then has coached like, you know, even some celebrities on faster learning methods and such. Personally, uh, 14 years ago, I learned that I had a learning disability and uh, that there were things about my brain that just like were, you know, not optimal. I have like a, my brain is like a Ferrari that goes very slow. And, you know, there are certain things that are really strong about it, certain things that are, you know, leave a little to be desired. So I went down the rabbit hole of finding all the ways that you can improve this. Like you can improve the hardware of your brain to the point where like things like this aren't a problem anymore and you can take it a lot further. So I've been really obsessed with that over the past, you know, 14 years. And I, I blog a little bit about it on one of my, my blogs, ADHDtechies.com, where I talk about some of the more interesting methods that I've used to like improve certain brain facilities. Like there's one thing called... Um, uh, what was it called? Integrated listening systems, which uses bone conduction headphones and Gregorian chant and Mozart music combined with balance exercises and visual stimulation. But it actually, like I did before and after measures, and it, it actually had a significant improvement. So, wow, excellent. Yeah. So, this book is phenomenal. Like, I'm in the initial stages where he's talking a lot about the thinking and the passion behind how you do some of the stuff that he teaches people to do. But, uh, you know, I'm starting to get to the meat and potatoes of the how, which is stuff I'm always fascinated in. 
Yeah, I love it. And um, I'm going to add it to my list. Um, like, I, I love this uh, creative thinking and thinking differently as well. I've been talking a lot with a lot of my closest colleagues and friends, mainly because I've been sort of trying to rethink how to get my job done, rethink how to segment my day mm. as well. So I'm, I'm always looking for new opportunities to sort of improve my best practices because I think I was actually listening to a podcast about the amount of people who read books after graduating high school. Mm. Like the drop off is like significant. Wow. People just don't read. Like continue education doesn't stop after college, right. it continues forever. And the folks who can always continue their education or just learn things like you learned of your learning disability, but also you learn how to. I don't use the word cope, but empower it, I guess would probably be a better term. But like a lot of folks could get down about maybe limitations, maybe some ceilings that they have to hit. But being able to understand how to empower themselves to work around the system is really encouraging to hear. And I'm super happy that this book has impacted your life and your workflow too as well. Yeah. I love talking about that stuff too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tons of stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I am. Uh, I do a lot of stuff. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I'm constantly like I did a TikTok. Actually, I should mention I have a TikTok, hmm. um, but I did TikTok mainly because I'm mid 30s. Like I think that I know enough, but I don't know anything about that. So I spent the time to go and learn how the kids are making TikToks, and I made one, and uh, it was minorly successful. <laughs> not even close to minorly. <laughs> it was uh, underwhelmingly not successful, but. I know how to edit on TikTok now. But you did it, yeah. Yeah, I did it. And I think that's the name of the game. It's just try things. You tried a bunch of tools to build the full stack Jamstack mm-hmm. uh, applications that you're building, and I'm benefiting from your knowledge. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and I appreciate that. But uh, we could probably ramble and talk about this forever. All day. But we do have a time limit. And uh, I appreciate you again, Mike, for coming on and chatting. And uh, I also appreciate you listeners to keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 